This is The Cable. Big bid on 10-year treasuries over the last week. Is this just a political fight, some political theatre? A lot of people saying, no, thank you, step back. You're saying, get in, why? Your connection from the London market close to the US market action. It is too easy just to blame Brexit. Surely it can't be anything means bye-bye-bye. The Cable. An historic moment from which there can be no turning back. With Jonathan Farrow on Bloomberg Radio. Good afternoon, good afternoon to the City of London. I'm Jonathan Farrow. You are listening to The Cable live across the capital on DAB Digital Radio. It has just gone 5pm in the city. At the close today, the FTSE 100 up by about a half of 1%. In Frankfurt, Germany, the DAX up by 1.53%. Global equity markets closing in on a $100 trillion market cap. We'll eat into that a little bit later in the FX market. Cable getting eaten into. Well off session highs, down about a tenth of 1%. The why? Well, that might be in our top stories. Here's Bloomberg's Charlie Pallet. Indeed, a big one. Thank you very much, Jonathan Farrell. We begin with Brexit. European Commission President Jean-Claude Juncker telling reporters after lunch with Prime Minister May today and the EU's chief negotiator, Michel Barnier, that it was, quote, not possible to reach a complete agreement on a Brexit deal today. And of course, John Farrell will have more on that top story coming up in a moment, right here on The Cable. Facebook is increasing the size of its staff in the UK by 50%. The company's hiring 800 employees in London, predominantly in engineering roles. Facebook, of course, uh, under increasing scrutiny from UK lawmakers. They're concerned about Russian interference in British politics via social networks. And across the pond in Washington, on Capitol Hill, Republicans are trying to hash out differences between the House and Senate versions of the tax cut bill. Each calls for the corporate tax rate to be slashed from 35% to 20%. President Trump says the rate could be bumped to 22% in the final bill. Latest from the news desk, Jonathan Farrow. Happy Monday back to you. Happy Monday to you, sir. Thank you very much. We begin with our top story. London and Brussels failed to get a much-hoped breakthrough on Brexit. Success hinged on a compromise over the Irish border and the UK's financial obligation to the bloc and the rights of citizens. European Commission President Jean-Claude Juncker and Prime Minister Theresa May spoke a short while ago in Brussels. We stand ready to resume the negotiations with the United Kingdom here in Brussels later this week. But I have to say that uh, we were narrowing our positions to a huge extent today, thanks to the British Prime Minister, thanks to uh, the willingness of the European Commission to uh, have a fair deal with uh, uh, Britain. I'm still confident that we can reach sufficient progress sufficient progress before the European Council of the 15th of December. This is not a failure. This is uh, the start of the very last round. I'm very confident that we will reach an agreement in the course of this week. Thank you very much, uh, Jean-Claude. And uh, as President Juncker has said, we have had a constructive meeting today. Both sides have been working hard in good faith. We've been negotiating hard, uh, and a lot of progress has been made. And uh, on many of the issues, there is a common understanding. But it is cl- and it's clear, crucially, that we want to move forward together. But on a couple of issues, some differences do remain, which require further negotiation and consultation. Uh, and uh, those will continue, but we will reconvene before the end of the week. And I am also confident that we will conclude this positively. Joining me now, Marcus Ashworth, Bloomberg Gadfly columnist, and Michael Hewson, the chief market analyst for CMC Markets in London. Marcus, what went wrong? 
I think um, what happened was, well, I think a tweet from uh, Nicola Sturgeon may have contributed, but I think essentially that uh, DUP said, great, go ahead, but we're not going to be part of your um, minority now government. Yeah. Um, so I think there was some pushback internally from um, what is a breach of the Good Friday Agreement. Uh, I, I, what they were trying to do, they were trying to essentially put uh, Northern Ireland into maintaining it into customs uh, and single market, customs union and single market, which is therefore defeats the whole purpose of what Brexit is about. More importantly, it's trying to basically go from the first step and telling the first step is the conclusion of the second step. So, uh, you know, what's the, this whole thing about Northern Ireland and the border yeah. is the essence of what a free trade agreement must end up being. It's carp for horse. So as far as I'm concerned, um, they've tried to smash it together. They got very close. Everyone was seeing there was going to be momentum and someone's fallen I think, uh, or put their hand up and said, look, not, not with my blessing, and therefore it's all fallen apart. Well, something that strikes me is a, a pretty... There's a decision to make, Michael. Either you upset the DUP and things fall apart domestically, or you upset the European Union and you don't advance Brexit talks. Is that what it comes down to now, Michael? This is where political reality hits constitutional reality. You can't have a situation whereby one part of the UK has a completely different... Uh, the trade arrangement than the rest of yeah. the United Kingdom. And I've always said this, um, that the Norway option remains the most likely outcome. Now, I know Theresa May's ruled it out, but ultimately you either get a Brexit or you don't get a Brexit. Now, I know that sounds pretty binary, but I don't see any way past this particular issue within the framework that the Prime Minister has outlined. She's ruled out the Norway option, but for me, I think if you want to have some form of Brexit, it remains the only way to go. Just refresh me, Michael, what you think the Norway option is and what, how, more importantly, how it, how it determines what, what happens for Britain. Well, ultimately, it gives you limited control of immigration, because Liechtenstein has that, um, and it also gives you um, access to the single market. Um, with an optionality, without any um, without any regulatory for, yeah. oversight from the European Court of Justice. You do pay for it, but it's lower. It's a lower fee. And There's no way they're going to go with the Liechtenstein option on, on controlling of immigration, though, surely, well, for Britain. Well, you, you know, I, I would imagine that, you know, it's there. Whereas I think one of the main concerns was the fact that um, there wasn't that particular option as a fully-fledged member of the EU. Now, I know David Cameron came back with an emergency break on a white piece of paper, <laughs> but that, was, that, was, that wasn't really worth the paper it was written on. When is it D-Day, Marcus? When is it crunch time? I don't think it, it matters. Uh, I think the fact that we got what looked like very nearly could have been a deal today, uh, and I think we were all expecting that they'd done something. And as I said, I think that's what's happened. Someone has gone... Lovely. Uh, great for you, but don't, don't think the DUP are going to be part of it, or, or whoever it may be. I'm not saying it's DUP, but it's highly likely it was. Um, or, or they've realised they couldn't carry the, the, the Tory party itself. Something someone has, has said that this is too far, too quickly. You've gone all the way to essentially creating or recreating a, a customs union slash single market, yeah. and therefore the whole point of Brexit is, is so he's not being able to carry her right wing or whatever it may be, the, the DUP. So... Um, it doesn't matter so much. I think the fact there's 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 been some um, positive noises from the European side is very promising. Um, I th clearly, money is no longer the big obstacle that it was. Clearly, citizens are no longer the big obstacle it was. So it is trade. 
by definition, which is the Irish border problem. So, in essence, we're getting on talking about what we want to talk about. May not be in the way we want to talk about it, but it's certainly in that sense, I think it's uh, pretty good. So, I think the heat gets taken off. Uh, timing is less fractious than may been. Um, that no one's, you know, oh my God, we don't get something on December, it's all ending. It could even be done this week, in essence, if it's, if it's a relatively minor problem. Um, and the, by December 15, or what the date is, um, then, then we could have something, but certainly before yen. But it doesn't really matter if it goes through into early part of next year. And I think if it gets an impasse still in, in, in February time, you know, for March, then that does become more problematical. But, you know, I think it's reasonable progress. So I think, we need, a, I think we need a form of words, some sort of constructive ambiguity that allows trade talks to start. Because I think unless you start trade talks, you're not going to be able to develop this particular but we are aren't we? We, this is if it focuses on the Ireland thing by definition this is the essence of what it is it is mm. trade talk so that's a good point whether they put it in, in, in name or not it's the debate has now switched on to what we've talked because we've taken away two of the first things yeah. mm. the third thing actually always should have been tied into the last thing Michael I agree on that point Bloomberg Gadfly columnist and Michael Hewson chief market analyst for CMC Markets in London sticking with me next up on a cable trouble in retail Toys R Us will close 26 UK stores in a court led restructuring we'll talk retail and the United Kingdom in just a moment this is Bloomberg Radio you are listening to the cable this is the cable with Jonathan Farrow on Bloomberg Radio Good afternoon, good afternoon to the City of London. A really solid day for UK equities, up a half of 1%. A solid day for global equities as well. A rally across Europe and in the United States as well. You are listening to The Cable live across the capital on DAB Digital Radio. Toys R Us plans to shut at least 26 UK stores as the retailer goes through bankruptcy proceedings in the United States. According to an emailed statement on Monday, the closures will start in the spring of 2018. We'll pair rents on warehouse-sized stores and let the company focus on better performing small shops and online operations. The UK arm will pursue a company voluntary arrangement, a type of court-led insolvency proceeding, which must be approved by creditors in a vote scheduled for December 21st. Michael, here in the United States, we spend a lot of time talking about big retailers, small retailers having a lot of trouble on the high street. Do you see the same thing playing out in the UK? I do. I mean, it's been playing out for quite some time. You know, if I'm honest with you, these sort of big box warehouses type out of town uh, shopping uh, shops are becoming (laughs) less frequented. Um, And we've seen it not only in general retail, we've seen it in food retail. In fact, I think the rot started all the way back in 2008. We had Best Buy over here um, because I actually bought television off them and I thought they were really very very good but it was a crowded market and I think the timing was lousy Curry's, Dixon's, Comet you remember when they were all out there? Uh, Absolutely they were all out there and they've all shrunk and you've got Sainsbury's taking over Argos and the reason Sainsbury's took over Argos was I think mainly to do with the fact they wanted to diversify but they also wanted to basically take over their um, delivery um, capability which was much more better developed and I think this is the way that it's going. You're getting smaller shops, more convenient shops. Shops, Shoppers are changing their habits. There's more shoppers um, shopping online. Marcus, what's more prominent, though, this sort of structural shift from bricks and mortar to e-commerce or a softer, weaker UK consumer? Shoppy shop. Um, well, I think a bit of both, really, because uh, what's happening is that as 
people are going to the shops less, they are also increasing the, the ratio of what they buy online. So it's a double whammy for uh, the bricks and mortar uh, essence. Uh, shameless plug here, but we wrote an article um, saying of the big bubbles of, 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 of next year. And the one thing that was been pointed out is we haven't mentioned uh, the amount of, of shops that have fallen away and how e-commerce is taking over. And that is a very valid point because, yeah. you know, the consumer is looks like about a hit of brick wall in the UK in particular. We've heard all the stories of the, of the empty shopping malls in the States, which hasn't it has affected out-of-town out of shopping centres in the UK, but we haven't really quite had a death of the high street. We've lived through it, Marcus, on, on the grocery yeah. store level. I don't think we've lived on it on we've the We've shot ourselves in the foot yet. in this country because the councils have, have uprate so much. So we've already had almost yeah. the effect, certainly in the high street sense, which that pushed everything happened. out of town. Now it's coming back, as you said, the more sort of metro-tile, small, small sort of stores. Um, what happens next? Well... You know, you can see from the ratios every year, Black Friday, Summer Monday, whatever you want to call it, you see the shift that, how quaint it is that people queued and shoved to go into a store on Black, <laughs> Black, Black Friday and they could wait and, and click online on Summer Monday. So that is something which is an inevitable and I think um, just, just shows you how you look at things like RBS closing uh, a raft of, uh, you know, another quarter of uh, of their all their bank branches. I remember, I remember the enthusiasm to go into a house of Fraser's around Christmas time. You wanted to be in the department store. Uh, do you feel that anymore, Michael? Not to the same extent. I mean, Marcus was talking about the queues and the crushes of Black Friday. We didn't get that here in the UK. I know you guys got it in the US, but yeah. it's one of those imports that I think has had its day here. Um, either that or consumers, I think, prefer to shop from the comfort of their own home. But I don't think you can... I don't think you can get away from the fact that sometimes I will occasionally go into London, have a wander around the Christmas shops. Yeah. More for the experience, though. It's the showroom. The shop. It's the showroom. It's the showroom. Yeah. And it's the look and feel. Yeah. And then the buying is done. Michael elsewhere. was spotted in Croydon last week. Was he? What was he up to, was he up to what, in Croydon? That's what he mentioned. What, did. Were you do, what were you doing in Croydon, Michael? A bit of Christmas shopping, mate. In interesting. Why Croydon? Because I lived there. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Not just asking. Is that okay? Just asking. <laughs> just asking. <laughs> Not judging. Just asking. Michael Hewson of CMC and Marcus Ashworth of Gadfly. Sticking with me. This is Bloomberg Radio. This is The Cable with Jonathan Farrow on Bloomberg Radio. Good afternoon, good afternoon to the City of London. I'm Jonathan Farrow. You are listening to The Cable live across the capital on DAB digital radio nice little risk on across the board today with the FTSE 100 up a half of one percent the DAX up by one and a half gains across the continent gains in the United States all-time highs on the S&P 500 you've heard all of this before 100 trillion dollars is what the global equity market cap is closing in on how important is 100 trillion dollars Marcus well, um, <clears throat> to be brutally frank, uh, if you take out Venezuela and the fact it's valued courtesy of where they valued their Bonaparte, uh, <laughs> uh, $20 trillion, it's closer to 80 than 100. But moving aside from our lovely shot, um, it's important because, uh, you know, well, what we saw today with, with, with was the, another Trump bump, yeah. uh, and that may continue. And we've seen, a, a you know, it's gone exponential, the lift in market capitalization uh, equities in the last uh, two or three months. And that's something to keep an eye on because everyone realizes that QE, but QE's been around a long while. You know, the Bank of Japan and the, and, and the Fed have sort of stopped. 
It's only really the ECB that's carrying on, but they, they're slowing down as well. And yet, we're now getting these sort of last end-of-cycle effects whereby the fact that so much money in the system, it's just not having a momentum of its own. And that is a worry, because that is actually not what the central banks uh, should have, anyway, <laughs> should have thought QE was for. Yeah, um, Mr. Gilbert of Bloomberg Gadfly writing a great piece today on that market no, cap story. Was it, it you was as well? Yeah, yeah. Was it you as well? Okay, Marcus. Was it you and Mark? Yeah, it was my idea as well, but no one. All right. <laughs> okay. Mr. Ashworth writing a fantastic piece on that today. <laughs> Mike Fusen also referencing the fact that stocks are grinding higher, but at the same time, vol is just grinding into nothingness um is that something to be concerned about because it seems to me and as a guest told me recently we're really concerned when when the vix is high and then we're really concerned when the vix is low um nobody can be pleased it seems i couldn't care less about the vix to be quite honest not these levels because it just doesn't seem to be giving any significant signals as to whether or not we're gonna continue to go higher or whether we're near the top and are about to correct lower yeah what i'm more concerned with um and we won't know until next year is what the Fed's going to do next year in response to this fiscal stimulus. And I think if anything is going to derail the stock market rally, it will be the Fed, particularly given we do not know what type of policy makers they are going to have on the governing count or, you know, as, as part of the governors, we know yeah. Marvin Goodfriend, he was, he was, he's been nominated. Um, obviously we know Randall um, Quiles as well. But there's a couple of other members there. Dudley's leaving. I can't remember a time when we really didn't know what sort, you know, where the dots are going to be. But Mike, we got a pretty next... decent lead from this administration that they're not going to do anything really out of consensus. Nothing crazy. Nothing extreme. Yeah, but financial markets have a habit of basically throwing up curveballs. What happens if this fiscal stimulus, these tax cuts, prompt wages to jump higher? Um, prompting a steepening of the yield curve and expectations of more rate rises that are currently being priced in. Yeah. Well, I think that's a fair point, Marcus. No, I, I was about to say exactly the same thing. You've had, you know, the six of the seven sort of board members have to replace in the next year or so. So far, it looks like they're very sensible. But I would add one, ride, one rider. Um, though they haven't put in someone like a Walsh, who might have been quite half the market to take, or even worse, or even, worse, or even more, uh, John Taylor, um, following the Taylor rule, we we have had a pragmatic guy coming in. Powell is not a neo-Keynesian. He's not following some uh, new theory of economics. He's a practical guy. Yeah. And he will react to the next crisis in a different way to how, um, obviously, the Greenspan slash Bernanke slash Yellen sort of uh, cohorts have done. So that that is going to be different. And so far, it's promising. But we're getting much more practical kind of people coming in rather than necessarily some sort of economic theorists. I do like the fact that he's not an economist. You do, Michael? Why do you like that so much? Simply because he, economists nowadays seem to basically coalesce around groupthink. And for me, the groupthink policy of the last few years, all it's done is boost asset prices. It hasn't really dealt with a trickle-down effect down into the real economy. But they haven't got the tools to address that, have they? No, they haven't. But ultimately, I think there comes a time when you start enabling politicians to do nothing. And I don't think that's the job of a central banker. 
Where's that more pronounced, though? Is that more pronounced in the United States or in Europe, Michael? Oh, I think it's probably more pronounced in the United States, certainly in terms of your infrastructure, because I certainly think going through your airports is not one of my favourite pastimes. A lot of your going on here. <laughs> I'm a guest in this country, Michael. Sorry. They're not mine. A lot of US airports. <laughs> then they're not. I'm not a biggest fan of going through there. They just seem a little bit dated. Yeah. And yeah, people criticise UK airports, but uh, Heathrow's a machine. It is an old. It is the ultimate machine. Uh, and, and Gatwick, for all people's criticism, oh, no, no, is not too bad there. either. We're going to disagree because it's there. easier for me to get to. Okay. And it's near Croydon, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's what this is about, isn't it? It's just whatever's near Croydon. Gatwick. I mean, if we're going to really or, go off piece, Gatwick South, is South Coast. Is, Gatwick is the worst airport possibly on the planet. And I think earlier this year it was voted that way as well. I don't think so. Have you ever been through Miami? U.S. airports, yeah. U.S. airports are a nightmare. LAX, I went through LAX a few years I ago. I went through LAX Goodness earlier this year. It wasn't me. as bad as Gatwick. Gatwick for the searches. Gatwick is... Oh, Gatwick. Are you talking really? Gatwick North for the connoisseurs or Gatwick South for the, the real the real sort of holiday-making... I'm talking you know, about the holiday-makers yeah, on, South. on South the, like Thompson North. Holidays. Yeah. I always go through North. Going through yeah. Gatwick South. Go, Gatwick North is the way forward. OK. Well, thanks, gents. <laughs> thanks for the holiday tri- tips. I appreciate right, that. Found, found out a lot about Croydon as well. Close to Gatwick and good for shopping. <laughs> Michael Houston, a CMC. And it's got a nice cinema as well. Uh, has it? OK. <laughs> Okay. 3D. Are you, are you talking your book here, trying to push up house prices? Absolutely, mate. No, I've got a new Westfield they're building there as well. <laughs> have you? Have you? That sounds toppy, um, <laughs> I, I must say. Michael Houston of CMC and Marcus Ashworth of Bloomberg. Gents, great to catch up with you as always. Thank you very much for giving Cheers, me John. so much of your time on a weekly basis. Coming up on the programme, we'll take it to the United States and get you up to speed on what's happening with tax cuts as the House and the Senate get together to reconcile their differences. This is Bloomberg Radio. You're listening to The Cable. This is The Cable with Jonathan Farrow. On Bloomberg Radio. Good afternoon, good afternoon to the City of London. I'm Jonathan Farrow. You are listening to The Cable live across the capital on DAB Digital Radio. It's just gone 5.30pm in the city. In the markets, just a really nice tone out there for the bulls. It's risk on, up about a half of 1% at the close on the FTSE 100. The DAX up by 1.5%. In the United States, record highs on the S&P 500. I think on the Dow as well, we're up by about 200 points. The S&P's up by about a half of 1%. Through 26.50. In the FX market, Market. Sterling weaker Brexit no deal at least so far. That means the pound falls from a session high down by about a tenth of one percent at one thirty four fifty seven. And echoing that risk on theme, what you've seen throughout the day is Treasury yields climb by three basis points on a ten year to two thirty nine on a 10-year Treasury. So that gives you a cross-asset feel of this market. In just a moment, I'm sure that a certain Cameron Christ is going to want to talk about football, and we'll do that. I'll give him the opportunity before we get there. Let's get to Charlie Pellet and get you some top stories. And indeed, our top story, Jonathan Farrow, all about Brexit. European Commission President Jean-Claude Juncker telling reporters after lunch with Prime Minister May and the EU's chief negotiator, Michel Barnier, that it is, quote, not possible to reach a complete agreement on a Brexit deal today. And of course, we'll have more on the top story coming 
coming up in a moment. Facebook is increasing the size of its staff in the UK by 50%. The company's hiring 800 employees in London, predominantly in engineering roles. And in Washington, on Capitol Hill, Republicans will try to hash out the differences between the House and Senate versions of the tax cut bill. Each calls for the corporate tax rate to be slashed from 35 to 20 percent. President Trump says the rate could be bumped to 22 percent in the final bill. That is the latest from the news desk. Jonathan Farrell, back to you. Charlie Pellet, thank you. Something really strange happened yesterday. A goalkeeper scored. Um, with the commentary, Cameron Christ is just going to walk us through what happened to my beloved AC Milan over the weekend. Well, they played a team that not only hadn't won a game, hadn't even managed to draw a match all season. <laughs> so they were sitting on, as the Eurovision people might say, nul point. Yeah. And uh, the chap scores in what, the 93rd minute? Yeah, With, they were 2-1 I mean, down. This, they were 2-0 down. 2-1 down. 2-1 down. Uh, they, 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 they have nothing to lose, so they send the keeper up, and he scores with the sweetest sounding and looking diving header that you would ever, it was a really ever want to good see. good goal. Do you, you know what it reminded me of? Well, you, you might be a little young for this, but I think about 20 years ago, Carlisle United was in the bottom tier of uh, the football league, and last match of the season they needed to to draw or to, to win i can't remember the circumstances to uh to stay in the league you know to, yeah. uh, and they had this this keeper on loan called jimmy glass <laughs> and it was about the 94th minute and the same thing the guy that scores was, it was also the 94th minute the 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 guy scores off of a, i think off of a corner rather than a free kick but uh you know it's the closest thing i've seen to to the milan match it was uh so it must leave you feel I don't know what to say anymore. This was, um, this was, of course, Berlusconi's old club, and, and growing up in the eighties and through the nineties, this was like the team to well, support. Yeah. You supported AC Milan. If you could pick any club on the planet, it wasn't Barcelona or Real Madrid. It was AC well, Milan. You think they had Van Basten and Hullet and Rijkaard as, as Baresi yeah, and, Maldini, and Maldini, and then you went into the two thousands and you had that modern day team with Kaká, Seidorf, Pirlo, and still Zaghi. with Maldini yeah. and Zaghi and Shevchenko, and it was still through the two thousands. It was like the team to support too, with three Champions League finals, and now it is just kind of drifted into nothingness. And in terms of the finance, they still don't own their own stadium. The council owns the San Siro, <laughs> so well, they don't. That, that so sounds they, familiar. So they don't get the money in the same way that you do in the United Kingdom with the likes of Arsenal, not with the likes of West Ham, but with the likes of Manchester United as well. It just seems like to me. I look back at the '90s in Italian football, and if I'm going to put this in financial terms, just wealth squandered squandered in such a massive way that they had all of this money coming through the gate. They held all this money in the TV rights because it was such a well-watched league with all the best players on the planet playing there and no one built a stadium. Yeah, but I think the finances ended up being unsustainable, right? Look at what happened to Fiorentina. Look at what happened to Parma. You know, yeah. I mean, Parmalat put how much money into, into Parma and then they ended up going bust. So... I mean, maybe the same thing will eventually happen to to the UK, where it certainly looks like there's a financial bubble there. But yeah, yeah, you know, I think people have been saying that for for ten years. Because or I've so. because I've given you such a hard time over West Ham over the last couple of weeks. I'm doing this to myself. We can take a listen to the 94th minute, Benevento against AC Milan, two one up Milan, and then this. This free kick has to be good. It is good. Oh, it's incredible. Everything 
to get Tuso's men have thrown it away. And the goalkeeper of all people scores the header. Out there, um, Michael McKee. I understand that <laughs> I you enjoy watching you. You were you were roped in. Yourself you, were, here. you were roped in over the weekend to help Tom Keane understand what this meant in, in ice hockey terms. <laughs> um, this is a goalkeeper going up the other end and scoring from the slot. Is that right? Uh, it sort of. I mean, <laughs> it's it's a free kick, so he 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 didn't run all the way up uh, and you know on the move uh, headed in, but um, yeah. It's similar. I mean, you wouldn't, but you could do that in hockey, but it'd be harder because you're wearing so much stuff. Does the, does the, does the keeper ever go up the other end in ice hockey? No. No. They, run, they get, get off the ice, but they don't uh, They don't go up the other end. They can't skate very fast because they've got all the, all uh, that padding all the padding on. Now, but that doesn't mean goalkeepers haven't scored because the difference in hockey is when you're behind in the last minute, you pull the goaltender so you can have an empty net. And if the goalkeeper at the other end manages to shoot the puck down the length of the ice, it can go in and, right. and has a couple of times. Oh, so you take the goalkeeper off and you put on an extra outfit. Extra skip, right. uh, yeah, okay. uh, extra attacker. The Got U.S. Started. sporting equivalent would probably be like a place kicker or a punter in the NFL scoring a touchdown on a, on a long run. Right. You know, it happens it's, very, it's very, very, very occasionally. But, yeah, you know, but usually you don't a fake it. something. You don't rather, see it yeah. too often. Shall we talk about taxes? Um, <laughs> There's got to be some sort of. I'm not of tr- even going to try and make segue. segue you can I'm not make even going to try. There. I mean, I've just you know, it's unfortunate. You know, my producer often goes crazy oh, with me because l- we were last talk- minute, late, late. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah exactly. that's nice. Yeah. That's yeah. nice. So, we'll, we'll make an anchor out of you. Hey, I'm a yeah. professional. <laughs> <laughs> last minute, late drive forward. They were looking like they were going to lose the game, and it looks like they're going to get this done, Mike. Well, I'd say we're in extra time now, um, and how long it lasts, we're not exactly clear. But um, they're doing a conference. Well, probably. Probably going to do a conference committee. Everybody thinks they're going to do a conference committee to merge the two different bills together. The House could adopt the Senate bill, and some people would like to see them do that, just get it over with. But there are enough differences that cause political problems for some Republicans in the House. They'll probably do this conference committee. And then sometime next week, perhaps, yeah. get a vote. The corporate tax rate, is the line in the sun 20% or is it 22 now, Mike? Don't know. <laughs> it's you tough know, to work out. I mean, it started. The president at 15, said it was fifteen. Drifted and then to he twenty. Said it was twenty. And the now problem he is, said it could be twenty-two. You know, they have so many different things they promise to so many different people. They basically can't afford it all. So you're going to have to tell some people, no, you can't have what we promised you, or they're going to have to raise additional revenue somehow. So if the tax rate doesn't go down as far, that may be one solution. And it does sound like president is open to that. It sounds like that's the easiest one. Corporates have so much cash right now, specifically the big caps. It just seems like, are they going to be upset if you go to 22 instead of 20? They're not even going to notice. Michael McKee, Bloomberg's very own, staying with us alongside Cameron Christ. Still ahead on the cable, the CVS Aetna deal might test the president's administration's approach to far-reaching corporate takeovers. We'll have a little discussion about that next and why Amazon is forcing consolidation in healthcare of all of the sectors. We'll talk that next. This is Bloomberg Radio. You're listening to The Cable. This is The Cable with Jonathan Farrow on Bloomberg Radio. Good afternoon. Good afternoon to the City of London. I'm Jonathan Farrow. You are listening to The Cable 
live across the capital on DAB Digital Radio. It's just gone 5.40 in the city. CVS could remake the US healthcare industry with its proposed $67.5 billion takeover of Aetna. The deal will test the Trump administration's approach to far-reaching corporate takeovers just weeks after the US government sued to block a major telecommunications merger. If the deal goes through, the chain would have a hand in everything from drug prices to insurance. CVS operates about 9,700 drugstores and more than 1,000 walk-in clinics. Mike, is this a test of the administration again, or is this more of a story of Amazon potentially wading into this sector and forcing some consolidation? Let's see, all of the above. Um, yeah. CVS has reasons to want to expand, although I'm not sure this is uh, completely a reaction to Amazon because Aetna is, doesn't sell any uh medicines. I mean, it, it may help protect CVS's bottom line if they have revenue coming in from other services. But uh, this is more about uh, the fact that, that you know you can vertic- you have been able to vertically integrate. And then that brings in the administration. Um, what do they think of this? Oh, well, there's two questions. One is who's going to uh, rule on this? The Federal Trade Commission usually rules on uh, pharmacy deals and the Justice Department on insurance deals. And the FTC has been much more open to these things than it appears the Justice Department is going to be. So um, first we see who does it and then we see what they think of it. Whether uh, I mean, This is going to be one huge company. Revenues of $240 billion, second only to Walmart. Yeah. So uh, obviously this is, if you don't, if you didn't like Time Warner <laughs> and, and it's not based on CNN, which of course it could be, then what are you going to think of this one? Well, what strikes me as odd is that we thought this they were going to be a softer touch on issues like this, on, on big M&A. And as you say, Mike, two companies in entirely different places in the same sector, but on an entirely different place on the supply chain well, and ultimately what they do. The thing that struck me about this, interestingly, when people immediately compared it to what's going on with the Time Warner deal, AT&T deal, is that it's harder to see what the harm to consumers is from Time Warner and AT&T than it is from CVS and uh, Aetna because you've, you've got uh, the possibility that CVS, you know, requires you to get insurance from Aetna or Aetna requires you to buy yeah. drugs from CVS. And I mean, that's just obvious. And I'm sure there are many other, they do, do compete in one area in Medicare uh, services. So there's a, there's a lot of reasons why you could argue that maybe this is something that should be looked at closely. Cameron, is this another thing that we've got wrong on this administration? We thought there were going to be a soft touch on big M&A. Well, as Mike said, I think it's to be determined. It's it's the, the real issue is whether this Time Warner AT and T objection is a legitimate philosophical objection, or whether it's uh, frankly a petty ploy down to sort of stripping CNN of yeah. of, of influence. And I we don't know the answer to that yet. And in fact, this will be an interesting test case as to providing verification, whether it's more of a philosophical issue or whether it's a sort of petty idiosyncratic issue. So I think the jury is still very much still out. And as Mike says, there is, frankly, a more legitimate reason for them to object on philosophical grounds to this one than than the AT&T Time Warner deal. Mike, do you get the feeling more broadly that M&A is starting to pick up a little bit? It's been picking up for uh, a little bit now as companies look to try to maximize their revenue possibilities at a time when the economy is growing, but 
it's not expanding. People aren't spending more money. They're just spending regularly. So people are looking to add to their uh, bottom lines. So uh, we'll probably see more of this. The interesting question is what's going to come out of the tax deal and how does that affect M&A going forward, particularly yeah. the idea of eliminating interest rate uh, expensing um, or limiting that. Does, does that have an effect on deals going forward and how? Michael McKee, international economics and policy correspondent for Bloomberg. His favorite day of the month comes up on Friday. We're going to have a look ahead to U.S. payrolls in just a moment. Cameron Christ, microstrategist at Bloomberg, sticking with us as well. The week ahead, concluding with Payrolls Friday. We'll give you a preview. That's next. This is Bloomberg Radio. You are listening to The Cable. This is The Cable with Jonathan Farrow. On Bloomberg Radio. Good afternoon. Good afternoon to the city of London. I'm Jonathan Farrow. You are listening to The Cable live on DAB Digital Radio. Really nice session across the capital on the FTSE 100. We're up by about a half of 1%. Some of the banks leading the gains today across Europe, really strong gains. The DAX up by 1.53% at the close. And some record highs to speak of in the United States. The S&P 500 up a half of 1%, call it 13 points higher. The Dow up by almost 200 points. The global equities, we march towards a $100 trillion market cap. What a story. In the FX market, no deal for Brexit seems to be the story for sterling. It was stronger in the day by as much as a half of 1% almost against the uh, US dollar. The cable rate now trades at 134.55. More broadly in the G10 space today, the dollar stronger against everything in G10. Much more prominently so against the uh, Swiss franc and uh, the Japanese yen as well, which gives you an idea of this risk on feel. Some of those haven currencies, the yen, the Swissy, are the weaker ones today. In a bond market, Treasury yields grinding higher ahead of payrolls Friday. Yields are up by about three or four basis points. Call it three on the 10-year to 239. So that gives you a feel of this market with the commodity market taking a little bit of pain throughout the session. We're down by 1.4% at 62.84 on Brent. WTI at 57 and around 60-ish, also off by about 1.2%. So that's your market. And in terms of your week ahead on Tuesday, growth in the US service industries in November probably held close to a 12 year high, underscoring resilience in sectors that, of course, account for almost 90 percent of the US economy. On Tuesday, we'll also look to foreign ministers from NATO members who uh, gather for a two day meeting in Brussels. Then Wednesday, UK Brexit Secretary David Davis addresses a Brexit parliamentary committee, while Chancellor of the Exchequer Philip Hammond speaks at the Treasury Select Committee. Also on the same day, the European Commission College of Commissioners discusses Brexit and will likely make its recommendation on whether sufficient progress has been made to move negotiations onto the future relationship. That will take place in Brussels at around midday. Then on Friday, the big one to end the week. Well, it might well be Congress as they look to pass a spending measure by December 8th to avoid a partial government shutdown. But for markets, it's most likely to be the US employment report. Payrolls Friday and the labour market report for the month of November. That means, Michael McKee, for you, kind of like, you know, it's good on the one hand because you really like economic data. On the other hand, you probably don't like the hype around payrolls Friday. Am I right? Right. I mean, in, nobody on the Fed does either. It's just one indicator. Is this it's your audition that for that, that like, spare Fed board spare seat? spare Fed board receipt. No, I'd, <laughs> I don't think I'd be very good at sitting around all day and 
in, in the marble hallways. I mean, if oh, I could. You would I, enjoy that? I would love it. Would you? You'd enjoy that? Kevin then, Keegan and, style. And, and, I would I, love it. <laughs> and then well, you'd, come out, you'd come out once a month and do yeah. a nice little speech and oh, preach. Let me Let me add it. You know, the Bloomberg, Bloomberg broke the story of the, the new uh, Richmond Fed uh, bank president being appointed. We'll put a paragraph in there. This Cameron was, you know, the, on on the list for the opening. Yeah, please. Just you, know. you, you get mentioned, and then people start, and, you know, then Donald Trump will read it and go, "Who's this guy? Who's <laughs> looking yeah, up? Who's this guy?" And yeah. then he could end up, and yeah. who knows where it all goes. So who, so who is the new Richmond Fed President, Mike? <laughs> uh, well, uh, that's a, a a question a lot of people in Richmond are asking. Thomas Barkin. <laughs> <laughs> is the new president, and he is—he uh, comes uh, to Richmond from McKinsey, where he was for many years the uh, chief financial officer. Now he's the chief risk officer. Works out of their Atlanta office. Um, and no offense to Mr. Barkin, who has an economics degree from Harvard, then went to Harvard uh, Business School and Harvard Law, and so has has a lot of academic credentials. But um, the picture tells you everything you need to know about what people are upset about, and that is that he is a white male. Yep. And they were expecting diversity out of Richmond, in part because of the location, but in part because it was an opening. The Atlanta Fed recently chose the first African-American, Raphael Bostic, uh, to be its president. But there have uh, been only three women who've been presidents of uh, reserve banks. And as I've just mentioned, we've only had, now just had the first African-American. So people were thinking they were going to get some more diversity. Uh, Jenny Ellen was asked about it in her appearance before the Joint Economic Committee and said, you know, diversity is important. So at the moment, Mike, what have we got left? We, we've got Esther George at Kansas City uh, and mm -hmm. we've got Loretta Mester. In Cleveland, yeah. Yeah, and, and that's it. And once Yellen steps aside, this is going to be a very male-heavy FOMC once again. Yes. Um, now, Donald Trump still has a few more seats to fill, so it is uh, certainly possible uh, that he could uh, he could fill it with women or, or minorities. So yeah, we'll wait and see. But it, it's probably worth interjecting that you know, for once, this has nothing to do with Donald Trump. It's the no, of course it's the good people no. of Richmond and, and they seem who, to, uh, and Cameron, who, exactly. who, who make exactly. this decision. Cameron, they so seem to have had a problem finding somebody because it was months ago that Jeff Lacker. Resigned. It was back in April after admitting his role in the leak of confidential market sensitive information to a Wall Street newsletter. But we're going all the way back to April. So clearly they struggled to find a replacement. Yes, although on the time scale of the administration, that's sort of light speed. Yeah, uh, but the administration, I guess, have got other things to think about. True, true. Yeah, I mean, I, I wish I had some insight for you on this one. Have you, have you got does... that, Mike? Any insight as to why the Richmond Fed really struggled to no, find anybody? I don't, and uh, I don't know anybody who does. Uh, we've been wondering for quite some time why it took them so long. Should mention, though, for the audience that we are talking with here, that the Richmond Fed job is not all that important to the making of U.S. monetary policy. It's just another member of the Monetary Policy Committee, as it yeah. were. Uh, one of 17 when they're at full strength, 19 when they're at full strength. So, uh, But he gets a vote next a year, I think, Mike, that, right? That's the important thing about to know about uh, Mr. Barkin is he comes in in day one and he's a voter. So uh, people will be looking to what he thinks and what he does right away because he's going to have an uh, an impact if not influence you know i'm going to ask the juvenile question is he a dove or a hawk do we know we don't know we don't know and no i idea. have i've been asking people and i don't know i mean if you want a real reach you can look at his political contributions and the only contributions he's made although not very many of them are to democrats does that okay. tell you anything i don't know that, that that makes him a dove in some people's minds already i assume
Well, not necessarily, given you know, given the composition of the current government. Well, one, let's, let's, one could argue that the Democrats might want to, you know, they were politically motivated to yeah. put rates higher. You know, put them at ten percent and hike the U.S. back. Uh, to the if, Stone you, Age. if you follow the contributions of Governor Brainerd and then um, work out her monetary policy leanings, then then maybe we can replicate that. I'm not going to go with the there. Richmond Fed. I'm not asking you to. We've got to wrap up okay. the show now anyway. Cameron Christ and Michael McKee, thank you. This is Bloomberg Radio. This was The Cable.